Good day and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Before we start the show today, I just want to extend uh, condolences and good wishes to everybody here in Southeast Michigan who is still trying to bail out from the storms that happened over the weekend. I was actually out of town when it happened, and I remember seeing all of these blips on social media about how hard it was raining and how suddenly it was raining, and then pictures streaming in all the time, constantly since then, of destroyed basements and backyards that look like lakes, uh, there's a lot of devastation <clears throat> out there, and uh, I, I absolutely want to extend my best wishes to everybody that uh, that you haven't lost too much and that uh, you are able to put your world back together uh, sometime sometime soon and get all of this out of the way and, and your life kind of back in order uh, in, in your home. I know how important all of that is. That is, of course, where we want to start the conversation today. There just was nowhere for the rain and the water to go Friday night. Six and a half inches of rainfall overwhelmed Metro Detroit's stormwater systems and caused widespread flooding on our freeways and the other roadways. Basements flooded, cars were left stranded underwater. Tens of thousands of DTE Energy customers, of course, also lost power, something that also tends to happen when we experience these kind of storms. AT&T customers also lost service for much of the day on Saturday, something that, if you think about it, is pretty dangerous given the reliance that we have on cell phones. Most people don't have landlines anymore, and if you don't have a phone at all, I think there's a danger of isolation uh, that 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 creeps into the picture. Uh, one of the worst parts of this weekend was, of course, how familiar all this was. It's only been seven years since the really crazy floods of 2014, and we've also had several other storms in the intervening years that caused minor flooding that uh, we hadn't seen before. As someone who grew up in this community in the 1970s and 80s and has lived here much of my life, I think there's, there's no question that what we're experiencing is really different than what we used to, that we live in a place where the climate has changed. Uh, these are the kinds of events that we'd only expect to see maybe once in a lifetime, and now we experience them every few years. And the frustrating thing is that public officials are just not doing what needs to be done to build infrastructure that's resilient enough to handle this new reality. Not to mention the fact that we continue to fail to address climate change itself head on. So we want to hear from you today how you've been affected by all of these storms and floods. What's going on in your home? What's going on in your neighborhood? And what do you think we need to do to address these problems? It is, it is beyond ironic that MDOT is asking people to not swim in the floodwaters on I-94, which MDOT says are going to be there for a while because they can't pump the water anywhere, that it won't return to the freeways. That's how overwhelmed 
the system is right now. There is no place to put this water, and the the freeway in some places is like a river. And of course, I mean, people with poor judgment are getting in the water and swimming around, which is dangerous in and of itself. But but just imagine how silly that would sound or would have sounded 10 or 20 years ago, the idea that you had to tell people not to swim in the freeways. So call and tell us, what do you think we need to do to not have, have this situation, not be in this place in our community? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. And you can use the hashtag Detroit Today, of course, on Twitter, and we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. But but especially we want to hear from folks about just how they're doing. It's one of the things that I think is a hallmark of our show here. When things happen, when we face challenges or, or crises, we talk about how we're how we're doing. And I think it's a it's a way of connecting with each other. It's a way of supporting each other. <clears throat> it's a way of commemorating the things that that, that shape our lives. So again, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we'll we'll try to work you into the conversation that way. I want to bring a really expert voice into the conversation to talk about uh, what we're experiencing and what we ought to do with it. Uh, Bill Schuster is professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Wayne State University. Bill, welcome to Detroit Today. Morning, Steve. How are you doing? Good. Um, I hope that uh, your life is dry uh, right now. I know. Uh, we're drying out here in, in Gross Point Park in Jefferson Chalmers area where I live. Yeah. And uh, it's it's been a pretty crazy weekend. Well, and that side yeah. of town seems to have gotten absolutely walloped, I guess because a pumping station failed uh, on on the east side, and that that made it even harder to get the water uh, away exactly. from people. Yeah. You know, water moves. Uh, water always wins in these situations. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, your your introduction this morning has largely, you know, covered a lot of you know a lot of things that I'd like to talk about with you this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we have the unfortunate convergence of more frequent heavy rainfalls that occur in a shorter period of time, but also that's converging with uh, basically a decline, a long-term decline in our infrastructure. You know, that's meant to handle uh, these these events, and so if they're if they're in marginal condition to handle even the normal events, then when we get these larger you know, events, or rainfall events happening, where does the water go? Right, and that's and that's exactly what happened. You know, the um, Saturday morning flooding event was an equal opportunity disruptor and destroyer of health, property, and morale. However, you know, having the resources to cope and recover, you know, that's often a matter of privilege and your socioeconomic standing. Mm. Um, the the infrastructure that surrounds us, though, you know, the whole ma- you know, the whole practice of civil environmental engineering is around building, maintaining the infrastructure that provides services, you know, critical services to to us human critters. And uh, you know, going back to the event, the facts of the matter 
are, as you pointed out, they sound more and more familiar in an unusually large amount of rain that fell in an unusually short period of time. So this overwhelmed the design capacities of the critical infrastructure mm-hmm. that we that we rely on. In the case of the MDOT uh, freeway sump pumps, you know, there's people power. You know, do we have enough people to go around? Do we have, you know, we actually lost electrical power and communications with a lot of the uh, systems, you know, the, um, the sump pumps. And so with debris clogging inlets that are meant to drain our freeways, our streets, um, you know, our houses, uh, water concentrates. And it, if it doesn't have anywhere to go, if it's sitting on, you know, like a turf landscape, it's going to infiltrate and percolate downward where it can flow into basements and enter the sewer system causing backups. But when the water can't spread out, it just gets deeper, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it starts going into the that third dimension. And so, again, you know, in the civil and environmental experience, we consider the broader scope of infrastructure that renders services to us. This includes transportation, water, air, and soil resources, waste management, um, the ability of our structures to withstand, you know, different stress, stresses, and then the construction disciplines. When you look at what a catastrophic flood does to each of these infrastructures, flooded freeways, flooded basements, uncontrolled sewer discharges, the incredibly, the huge pulse of solid waste and hazardous waste volume that has to somehow go into our waste management stream, the degrading impact on our foundations and structures and our buildings and houses. You know, the flood basically severs or disrupts all these services. And so when we talk about resilience, you know, this is this is the starting point. But we really know what needs to be done. It, you know, the, we can start getting into some conversation about equity here. Yeah, sure. Um, but so, I, I should stop. And, well, you know. well, before we get to that, and I, and I think that's a super important dimension of this, right? Uh, who is... Who was first in line, really, to to experience the the, the upgrades and the improved maintenance that that we need to to make sure that these things don't happen? But but before we get there, I I, I just want to talk about the, the the global picture a little bit. Uh, I remember maybe 10, 12 years ago writing about uh, infrastructure quite a bit here in Southeast Michigan and writing about mm-hmm. the mounting price tag for backlogged upgrades and maintenance. Uh, and the last I knew, the number at DWSD, um, which is now which is now GLIWA, of course, the responsible... Uh, it's a shared... Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's sort not just one, one entity anymore, but, but the, the number was $1.8 billion. And that was, that's more than a decade ago that I remember that number. Being the, 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 just get, the costs just right, so larger. <laughs> where are we? Where are we now? I mean, if if we wanted to start in earnest to to remake the infrastructure around here in a way that would be uh, better suited to deal with these kinds of storms, what, what what kind of numbers would we be looking at? Well, you know, clearly we're well into the billions at that point. I I should. I think it would be of interest to the uh, terrorist listeners here. The American Society of Civil Engineers, they actually develop a scorecard or actually a grade card mm-hmm. for 
uh, American infrastructure. And uh, as a country, as a nation, we routinely, in the area of stormwater and wastewater, we're around, we're around a D, you know, and basically failing. Um, the, the extent to which our infrastructure has degraded and, you know, it's a, it's a commentary not only on um, the degradation and the increased stresses on our infrastructure, and especially in the case of stormwater and wastewater, but it's, the, it's that accumulation, you know, that the burden just keeps getting larger and larger mm-hmm. over time because it's, uh, it really is a matter of, I think, social and political will to make the resources available. Um, but once those uh, resources are available, we really need you know, federal, state, local, you know, county, city, and then, um, you know, basically our, our private or NGO organizations mm-hmm. to, to coordinate and to, to set data uh, objectives, you know, basically doing a groundwater study, how the river interacts with our, our groundwater in Jefferson Chalmers, where the water goes in that area. Starting from the basics, um, and, and for any any type of engineering design, we need the appropriate data to do this. It's not impossible. This is not rocket science. Hmm. And uh, so I could hold at that at that point. I, I mean, that's a really good that's a really good overview of what what we face and and the the will to do it is the thing that is always missing i mean a lot of people talk about not wanting to pay more for water for instance as a way of providing gliwa with enough money to do this kind of you know forward thinking infrastructure repair and 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 upgrade and <clears throat> And because of that, then you know public officials don't pick it up and and decide that uh, that it needs to be done. But but I also want to I do want to get to the, the the part of your research that is about diversity and equity in services uh, from a civil environmental infrastructure perspective. We do pretty poorly with that around here as as well. And of course, um, you know a lot of the hardest hit areas. Over the weekend, we're in Detroit in, in in poor communities. There's a reason that those places are more vulnerable than others. Well, there's a our, our healthy urban waters team uh, led by Dr. Carol Miller uh, within my department. They've characterized the multifold negative human health impacts of flooding on residents throughout southeastern Michigan, and particularly in Detroit. It's clear what impacts this is having and so this this directs us then to basically provide a compelling set of reasons that there's no doubt <laughs> we need to do something about the infrastructure at this point mm-hmm. and and we we understand i think from an engineering standpoint very clearly uh, uh, what can be done what needs to be done and having those resources but it's also a matter of data equity this is something that i've been thinking a lot about lately. Uh, I worked for the Environmental Protection Agency as a uh, research hydrologist for 17 years. And, you know, the way that we understand how water moves through 
American communities and I worked for a national lab at the time. My focus now is, you know, Wayne State, an urban-serving university in a majority black city. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, do we really understand the fundamentals of, again, how water moves through our communities so that we can then design in the sustainability and the resilience. You know, if we're going to shoot for the moon in Jefferson Chalmers, it's rectifying the seawall on the east side of uh, Fox Run, Fox Creek. Um, it's, it's developing, understanding where the water goes within the Jefferson Chalmers landscape and how that's tied to the dynamics of the river in creating a conveyance to move that water out of the system. The problem is, as in any kind of flooding situation, we've got too much water in in the space, in the landscape, either above or below. And unless we're actually removing that water, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Conveying that water out of the system, it's very difficult for our standard drainage infrastructure we can't depend on our wastewater infrastructure, which are largely con- combined sewer systems, to accept, you know, all the, not only the wastewater that we produce, the septic flow, but also on top of that, the stormwater flow. Mm-hmm. So getting back to data equity, can we, can we pull back and understand first, working with, again, federal, state, county, city coordinate get this you know get the data together at that point you know groups like you know civil environmental engineering department at at wayne state we can start to translate that data into actual resilient and sustainable designs and that you know make you know, kind of guide that that process um because we're we're really up against a uh, we can't we can't afford this type of you know, and the human costs and, and, of course, you know, just functioning the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. We're pretty well downstream of other communities that that, uh, that serve. You know, we got the, the big wastewater treatment plant downriver. You know, all paths, <laughs> all wastewater paths lead to that plant. Yes. And, unfortunately, within the, interve- the intervening infrastructure, you know, between our sister communities, um, the infrastructure is in really tough shape. You know, we have what we call rainfall-derived inflow and infiltration. When the water soaks into the into the soil, moves in around our pipes that have damaged joints and cracks, you know, it's very old infrastructure, that water just flows into the pipes, creating additional burden on the treatment costs. So getting a handle on these things, it's a very, you know, again, this pulls, this pulls every aspect of the civil environmental experience, mm. you know, yeah. but arguably we're pulling in uh, social work. Uh, we, you know, we look broadly at the situation, you know, we, we are now coping with a whole different slew of of pressures and issues, and I would I would say that we, as a society, you know, need to start, you know, working again, serving not only infrastructure but also uh, 
the human, the coping response yes. around these things, yes. uh, or these insults. Right. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking with uh, Bill Schuster, who's professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Wayne State University. We're going to get to your calls and your social comments as well. If you want to join, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Let us know what's going on in your home and your community after this crazy storm and the flooding we continue to deal with. Uh, Also, let us know what you think we ought to do and what you might be willing to sacrifice, perhaps, uh, in order for us to have better infrastructure, infrastructure that's able to weather the increasingly violent and frequent storms that we experience. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking about the tremendous storm we experienced here in Southeast Michigan last week and the aftermath of that storm, the flooding that still people are trying to bail out of in their basements, on the roads, in people's yards, and even on the freeways here in southeast Michigan. Uh, My guest is Bill Schuster. He's the professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering at Wayne State University, and we want to hear from you about what is going on in your yard, in your basement, uh, in your community, and what you think we ought to be doing to make sure that uh, these these storms uh, don't have such a devastating effect on people's lives. 313-577-1019 is always the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter. Put comments there, and uh, we'll try to work into the conversation. Okay, we got a lot of response to get to here, so so bear with us. Uh, Melissa and East Point, you're up first. Melissa, what's on your mind? Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, as a former disaster responder for the last uh, decade, I just wanted to reiterate the importance of not swimming in or being in flood water. Um, it's not just that it's, it's um, uh, something that they say you shouldn't do. The motor oil and chemicals from the, uh, from the road seeps up to the top and becomes a top layer of slick. Hmm. You also have hepatitis A that can be in that water. Hmm. Um, I think it's also important to talk about some safety measures, such as um, if you notice that there are bubbles in the water in your basement, um, that you need to evacuate your home and call your consumer energy or DTE Because provider. that could be gas, right? Yeah, exactly, because that could be gas. Um, and then also the environmental impact of even once the water has gone, the, um, those type of contaminants can still be in the soil uh, for months afterwards. So it's really important um, if that you're in a flood area um, to, to be aware of those environmental contaminants. Mm. Well, uh, you know, Melissa, I, I really appreciate you calling and, and sharing that information with our, with our listeners. And, and of course, also want to thank you for 
uh, your service uh, as a former disaster responder. I mean, the, you know, the, the the need for that kind of info right now is so high, and uh, I, I'm really grateful that you were able to to call in and share that with uh, with our listeners. I, I, I want to read a social media comment and have you respond to it, uh, Bill Schuster. Um, uh, uh, Tobias on Twitter says, he says, we've lived in Gross Point Farms for 15 years and have had three floods in 10 years. Gross Point has two problems. One, our house is in the Inland District, which is a combined sewer and storm system. Two, Connor Creek Pump fails every time. Uh, Tobias says the solution is to separate the sewer and storm systems. The, uh, Bill, this is something that I've heard many times before people bring up that you know, we do have, I think, some places where it's a combined sewer and storm system. Can you explain why why it works that way and whether it would be an improvement to try to to try to separate them? Sure, separating uh, our, our our septic and storm uh, water conveyances is definitely the brute force method of getting. Uh, getting the volumes under control using a combined system, of course. Um, not only do the volumes accumulate uh, very quickly, but we they also lead to uh, combined sewer overflows. Mm-hmm. Basically, the way that our systems were, were built, you know, many, many years ago, it was to relieve when we start, you know, filling up the pipes with combined septic and uh, stormwater. Uh, that flows basically directly into our surface waters. Um, it's it's not quite uh, not quite good for anybody. You know, we have beach closures uh, due to this, but we have ongoing uh, significant impacts uh, due to the, the sewage basically getting untreated into the system. Getting back to the, the solution, you know, via separation, I, I think our, our political folks will say, well, it's very expensive, and it is, and it's very disruptive. You're basically tearing up streets mm-hmm. and uh, laying in new new pipes and separating out uh, these septic and storm flows. Uh, it can be part of the solution, and it's certainly uh, moving in that direction. But when you look at the, the amount in, like, just the, the, the near uh, feet or distance or, you know, the miles mm-hmm. of of, of uh, wastewater conveyances that we have, they're buried actually very deep because we have to keep some sort of grade, you know, keep keep the the water moving over very long uh, distances. Um, pulling that apart, uh, you know, building on top of it if necessary, um, it's again this becomes a public works project, and of course. You know, Gross Point, uh, Lower East Side in general, struggle with this. Uh, on next door, you know, next next door social media, uh, the East Side just lit up um, over the weekend. You know, hundreds of people, you know, reporting what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Demands a comprehensive solution, correct? So we we do need to be looking into this as part of the solution. But I do want again get back to. You know, how do we do this as a society? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we're we're training uh, engineers for the future uh, to take on these issues, and 
uh, we're we're in the position of also needing to pull together investment in infrastructure dollars that are spent in a way that um, is guided by good data, equitable data that's translated through, uh, I think, contemporary engineering practice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I wish I could uh, wave a wand (laughs) and separate our sewers and, you know, there, there are opportunities when we, when we, when we do this, you know, there's creating a whole different, basically a transportation network and integrating the, you know, basically, you know, residents getting more services from these infrastructures than before. You know, it's, we're working with a lot of outdated infrastructure yes. and many of these, any of these aspects of the civil environmental experience. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Let's go to Robin in Detroit. Robin, what's on your mind? Uh, hi there. Hi. Um, I'm curious. The Detroit Water Department, I realize it's, it's separate from the regional water system, but um, the the water department's been charging this drainage fee uh, supposedly to reinvest into the Mm-hmm. Uh, infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So why don't all of the people using the regional system get this drainage charge? Why is it only for Detroit? Mm. They uh, get a lot more money if they charged everyone. If they charged everybody, yeah. Uh, uh, Robin, I super uh, appreciate the the call and the and the question. That's a great question. Uh, before we get to Bill Schuster to, to, to answer that, though, I, I do want to note that we reached out to the Great Lakes uh, Water Authority to try to get someone to come talk with us this morning about about all of this, and, and they were not able to do that. But uh, we're going to keep trying and and try to get someone on later this week from, from Gleewa to talk about the ways that they are trying to, to meet these new challenges. I know that they are... They are focused on it, and they are making an effort. Uh, I think uh, I'm not out of out of my lane saying that uh, the the money they have is is really insufficient to to the task at hand. Uh, but but again, I, I would love for them to to be able to come and and speak for themselves. But but Bill Schuster, this question about drainage fees, which are are aimed at raising money to try to take better care of the system. You know, why aren't they more universal and why aren't there other kinds of things that, that we're thinking about that would raise the money to be able to, to take take better care of the system? Well, and I, again, I think it's really important for us to have a discussion uh, between DWSD and GLEWA. Uh, of course, um, when the city of Detroit was bankrupted, um, for whatever set of reasons, uh, GLEWA was formed and basically split off mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the infrastructure. And uh, and I'm, I'm fairly new uh, back in town, about two years now, so I'm still getting familiar with the, you know, what is the separation? Mm-hmm. Who, you know, the responsibilities. Um, you know, are there federal uh, responsibilities, you know, in some of the inland waters uh, for or for the inland flooding? Uh, it addresses the Corps of Engineers, you know, FEMA. Um, but... I will defer <laughs> to to the GLEWA folks, sure. the DWSD folks, who 
to understand, I think, these things much better. But I'm, here I am looking at my my uh, my bill, and uh, for sewer services, it's um, it's sixty six dollars for recycling. It's nine dollars. There's uh, for Great Lakes water. It's sixty one dollars and thirty four cents. Mm. And so that's a considerable amount of my um, my bill. I think like other Detroiters uh, who are in the service area. Uh, that's there's also a a wastewater allocation of $57 or, you know, basically water use, um, you know, for drinking water, potable water, mm-hmm. and then a capital project cost of $7.50. So what we're looking at, you know, do we need to do, you know, a capital, this is a capital project that we're looking at, Yes. <laughs> you know, basically shifting the whole drainage architecture of, of the service area. And, and I, you know, there are projects, I think here and there, but again, coordinating, you know, across the suburbs, across the different parts of the service area. I, I think it's safe to say that, um, Detroit and the Lower East Side, um, specifically were a bit of a nexus, you know, like our, our wastewater infrastructure, a lot passes through there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, via interceptors that are placed around, um, you know, different parts of the city. And, again, that, that infrastructure is in pretty tough shape. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's really important to um, consider this. Yes, there's it's not happening fast enough. Um, there are failures, you know, across, you know the concrete pump, pumping, pumping station and CSO relief um, infrastructure, yeah, it's under a lot of pressure, but is there enough redundancy in the system? Right. You know, question number one, um, you know, can we get communications and reliable electricity to our MDOT, uh, pumping stations that are throughout the, the freeway system? Okay. Uh, Bill Schuster, professor and chair of the Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering here at Wayne State University. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks so much for joining well, us. Well, I'm so pleased, Steve. And I kind of throw in a plug sure. uh, for a book that's been pretty influential. Yeah. Uh, Alicia Montgomery is a friend of Detroit, uh, and she's currently at Stanford, but she wrote a book called Greening the Black Urban Regime. Huh. The Culture and Commerce of Sustainability in Detroit. And I'm considering making this required reading for my <laughs> it sounds uh, like it should be. <laughs> undergraduates and graduate students uh, in, in my department. There's a lot of good civil environmental engineering in this book. And it's it's translated basically she helps translate this through having spatial agency huh. and having a role in how we use space and the built environment here in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, what was her name again? It's Alicia, uh-huh. A-L-E-S-I-A Montgomery. Okay. And proud to say it's uh, published in the Wayne State University Press. Oh, very good. Uh, that's somebody we, we might want to welcome as a guest here on uh, on Detroit Today to talk about this subject. Definitely. So that's a great Well, everybody great stay time. safe. Yes. You know, it's, it's a huge public service. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue talking about infrastructure. But now we're going to talk about it 
in a national context. Libby Casey, on-air reporter and anchor who covers politics and accountability for The Washington Post, is going to join us to talk about the infrastructure bill that is still coming together in Washington and whether it might address some of these things that we are struggling with here in Southeast Michigan. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.